Anyway, welcome to downtown Harbor Church. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, welcome to the 1030 service. We had a great nine o'clock service today. Um, and we have spent the last three weeks talking about this idea of what it means to redefine things. So we're talking about redefining the church experience in the city of Fort Lauderdale. Week one, we talked about redefining the message. Last week, we talked about redefining the, uh, last week, we talked about redefining inclusion. And then in, in the middle week, we talked about redefining the vertical. And today, we're going to kind of go in a different direction. And we're going to spend some time uh, in a series called Seat at the Table for the next three weeks, but I'm going to talk to you guys about that in just a little bit. But before we begin, I feel like I need to share a story with you, and it's this. Um, I love chicken tender subs from Publix. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Thank, you do too, my man? Thank you so much. I love chicken tender subs from Publix. In fact, I love them so much that I ignore the trans fat at an all-time high that will enter my system. I ignore the uh, breading on the chicken tenders. It doesn't even matter how much salt or oil is a part of it because I am in love with chicken tenders subs from Publix. In fact, um, I just want to tell you how I get it prepared so I can give you some perspective about how much I love them. I get them on wheat bread just to make myself feel a little better about the experience that I'm about to participate in. So I get them on wheat bread. And then when they put those beauty succulent moist chicken tenders on the sub, they cut them up. I get pepper jack cheese over the top of it, and then I have them smother it in buffalo sauce to where it's just dripping off the uh, side of the, the bun. And then I say to the person who's making the sub, would you mind you know, heating that up for me in their big high power microwave that they have because it just makes it all the better. I love that. And it comes out and it, they wrap it up and I have them put salt and pepper on it and then some more salt and pepper on it just to make it worse for my arteries. And then I take it home and I just gorge myself on it with very, very little um, sadness at all about what's happening in my body because the chicken tender sub is that good. If you've ever had one, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, please leave here after service, not now, but go to the nearest Publix and get a chicken tender sub because it's... It is literally a thin slice of heaven in my life. I actually believe that the chicken tender sub is a slim, thin, thin slice of heaven. Now, contrasting that, my wife Caitlin and I live in a building, it's an apartment complex that is right next to a Publix. Contrasting with the sub being a thin slice of heaven, the Publix deli at the store closest to my house is literally like going to the seventh circle of hell. It is as bad as anything I've ever experienced in my life. The sandwiches are inconsistent. The employees bicker with each other. The line is always out the door. I don't know why I continue to put myself through this experience over and over again. Now, stay with me here. So one night, it was about 6 o'clock, and I said to Caitlin, I am going to go over to Publix and get a chicken tender sub. And she said, you know what you're in for over there. Why would you do that? Why would you go put yourself through that? You know the line's going to be long and what it's going to be like. And I said, nah, maybe I'm going to get a good night here. Maybe it's not going to be like that. So I go over to the Publix Deli right across from our house, and I go, and sure enough, the line was about seven or eight people deep, and I knew that I was in for a very long evening. Not only did I know that I was in for a very long evening, as I got closer to the counter where the subs were being produced, I noticed that there was some employee dysfunction and bickering going on at this Publix. In fact, they were kind of biting at each other and actually one of my favorite sub makers at this Publix, she was there preparing subs, and then a guy came around from the back and started to kind of like give her orders and like tell her how to do things, and I watched this exchange happen, and she said something to him that I've adopted in my own life, because I love how this sounds, and it was just a saying, but they were fighting right in front of us, and she said to me, if, or she said to him, if you can't walk with us, don't talk to us, and that shut him down. And then so he came around then and started making my sub. And I could tell by the interactions between these employees that this was not going to be a good experience this night. So I said to him, hello, sir. And he said, hello, 
what uh, type of bread would you like on your sub? I said, wheat. He said, we don't have wheat. I said, fantastic. I said, I'll take white just to make matters worse with the sub. I said, I'll take white. He said, okay. Um, I said, I'd like a chicken tender sub, please. He goes, ooh, this is going to be a problem. I said, why would it be a problem? And he said, mind you, I've been in line for about 30 minutes now. And I said, why would this be a problem? He said, well, those tenders over there, they're dry. And I said, they're dry. I, he goes, yep. I said, how long would it take to get moist tenders for my sub? And he said, about 25 minutes or so. I said, use the dry tenders. So he cut up the dry tenders and put the tenders on the sub. And then he put the cheese on the sub. And all was appearing to go at least halfway well at this point. And then I said to him, I'd like buffalo sauce on top of my sub, like I've gotten every single time for the past year. He said, we don't have buffalo sauce. I said, where am I? I come here all the time. So he goes, okay, if you really want it, i got to go in the aisle to get it. So he makes his way out into the aisle, aisle three, grabs a jug of buffalo sauce off the shelf, puts it down, takes the lid off, and as you know, there is tin foil for any type of sealed product that is there, and he begins to take some type of culinary utensil. I don't know if it was a fork or one of those like really long things that you sharpen knives with. I don't know what he was using, but he began to jam it into the buffalo sauce to pierce the tin foil. Subsequently, I saw the tinfoil go into the buffalo sauce, and in my mind, I'm going, this is not going to be good. So he pours then the buffalo sauce with the tinfoil. I watch it go onto the sub, and now the tinfoil is in the middle of the chicken. He notices too, but doesn't say anything, and neither do I, just because I want to see how this whole thing plays out. As you heard me say when I began, the next step in my sub-making process is to get it into that like high like power microwave to nuke it, to make it warm for about 15 seconds. Well, if you have any experience with tinfoil and microwaves, you know what happens when you put tinfoil in a microwave. So I see the guy put it in the microwave, and I look from the corner of my eye. He turns his back to me, or he turns his back to the microwave and looks at me. I see a poof inside the sub. I'm going, this guy's not going to serve me this sandwich. But he did. And he goes to the microwave, takes the sub out, wraps it up. And I felt like I was in the middle of a Seinfeld episode. And I said to him, sir, um, did you know that there was tinfoil in my sub? And he goes, yes, I did. And I said, I'm going to need a new sub. To which he said to me then, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do that. And I said, where is the manager? I need a new sub here. I'm not going home without a sub. So he got mad at me. I got mad at him. And I walked home to Caitlin. This was about 45 or 50 minutes later. And she goes, where'd you go, Boca? And I said, no, I just went to the Publix Deli right next door. And so I walked in and I said, I just have to tell you something. I am never going to that Publix Deli ever again. I am never going to that location for as long as I live, for as long as I breathe air. I am done. I'm washing my hands with those people. I'm done with this Publix Deli. I'm finding a new deli. She said to me, that doesn't sound much like faith expressing itself through love. And I said, you have a point. So I actually went back and talked to the manager and very calmly aired a few of my concerns. And I've been back to the Publix Deli ever since. And my experience has been much better. But that night, it was a rough one. Why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that story, which is a funny one about my chicken tender sub experience? Because in our life, it's easy to turn our back on people who have wronged us, on organizations who have wronged us, or any form of the latter there of those kind of people who have done us wrong. It's easy to say, I'm not going to go there ever again. It's easy to say, this person did this to me. I don't want to associate with that person anymore. I'm walking away. I'm done. I'm moving on. They've wronged me. I've been hurt. I cannot interact with this person anymore. But Jesus tells a different story. And Jesus tells a story 
in the book of Luke that we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about, and it is the parable of the prodigal son. So let me set the context for you for what the parable of the prodigal son is. In this book of Luke, in this chapter, Jesus, when there were tax collectors and Pharisees standing around, Jesus was talking to them, and he was telling stories, and he was telling these stories called parables. Now, parables are stories that are not true. They're made up for us to be able to learn from, to learn a lesson from, and for points to be made and for us to kind of gather information from. And Jesus was telling three stories about three things that were lost, the sheep, a coin, and then a lost son. This is the story we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, the story of the prodigal son. It's in Luke uh, chapter 15. If you do have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can definitely do that, Luke chapter 15. So the prodigal son is basically a story with three characters, a father, an older brother, and a younger brother. And actually, for the next three weeks, we're going to take one week and look at each character in the story. So it's really interesting how we're going to kind of get some insight to each one of these characters and what they might think about what they've experienced related to these events in the story. So that's kind of setting the stage. Just so you know, in Luke 15, 11, it says to illustrate the point further. So this is a continuation. So let me tell you what the point was before I begin reading the story. The point was that Jesus was making was that when someone uh, sins or does something wrong and they say they're sorry for it or they turn away from it, that that is a good thing. So if I like lie to my wife and I say to her, hey, I'm sorry about that. I never want to do that again. That's a good thing. And we should celebrate that. We should be excited about that. So that's what it means when Jesus says to illustrate the point further. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them, remember who were listening to them, the Pharisees, the tax collectors of the time, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Let's just stop right there because that's a big impactful moment that you don't want to miss. I want my share of your estate now before you die. The son, the younger son said to the dad, I know you're still alive and breathing and I know your heart is still beating and that you're still doing well, but I've kind of had it with you and I'd like to move on from here. So I want my half of your estate now before you die. Do you have any idea how insulting that is? Can you imagine how a dad, who we don't know this, but we come to learn this, had some wealth about him, would feel if a son, his son, his younger son, would say to him, Dad, I know that you're here, I know that you're still alive, and I know you're still doing business, but I really want my money now. And look at how the dad responds. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. His dad said, okay, if this is what you want, if this is what you want to be able to go out into the world and do whatever you want with, I will give you your half. Now, here you go. But can you imagine what the dad must have been feeling at that moment? Can you imagine what the father must have been feeling on behalf of how he had raised his sons and how he had interacted with his sons? And it, one son said to him, give me your money now, even though you're still alive. Here is the point about that that I think we can put into practice today and tomorrow in our lives. You will be disappointed in your life in ways you never expected. In your life, you will be disappointed in ways you never expected. People will do you wrong. Your family members will do you wrong. 
People who you think are your friends will do you wrong. Coworkers will do you wrong. There is going to come a point in time in your life where there will be moments of disappointment. People will wrong you. People will do things to you that you never expected, just like the dad. Do you think that father ever sat there and said, you know what, as he's raising his sons and as he's raising them to be young men and to grow up and to be contributing people in the community, do you think he would have ever thought that, yeah, I think someday one of them is going to come to me and say, I know you're still alive. Basically, I wish you were dead so I could have my money now. Can you imagine how disappointed that he must have been? So what do we need to do related to this? We need to be ready. We need to be ready because we will be disappointed in this life in ways that we never expected. And also remember, and if you have kids in the room, maybe you can apply this, Maybe if you look at what the dad did with the son, he didn't tell the son, hey, stop and don't do this. You're going to do something that you shouldn't do. He let him go. And I'm not saying that we should lead our kids or people um, who are kind of under our influence to make unwise decisions. We should always try to protect people and help them make wise choices. But the dad, I believe, knew here that the kid was going to mess up, but he also knew that he couldn't control every one of his actions, that there are certain things that he was going to to do anyway. And all of those emotions wrapped up in that were probably disappointment. And the truth can be said about us in this room. Names probably come to your mind and your heart of people who have wronged you, about people who have done things to you that you never expected them to do. So you have to be ready for disappointment. You have to know that it will happen and you have to respond appropriately. Respond appropriately, not out of fueling someone to do what they're doing even more. But you'll be disappointed in ways you never expected. Let's move on in the story. After he got the money, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Let's look at today's wild living, huh? Because that is what the, the text says here, wild living. Basically, this kid went to Vegas, played blackjack, lost it all, got bottle service, and spent it on hookers, okay? That's wild living in today's culture. And you know what? I like Vegas. I don't know if any of you ever been there. I love Vegas. Those hotels are phenomenal. The shopping, out of this world. Unbelievable. But he wasted all of his money in wild living. He blew it all. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Do you know what this is? This is rock bottom. This is the end for him. He has lost everything. He is now taking care of pigs, and he's so hungry that he's wanting to eat pig slop because he has no food. This is the absolute worst place this kid could be or ever will be in. And here's what's true about us. Some of us have or someday will hit rock bottom. There will come a time where you think, I don't know how this can get any worse. I don't know how I could have ended up in this situation and how anything in my life could get worse than it is 
today. And we're going to talk about that in week three as we talk about this son. But today we're talking about the dad and his reaction. So I don't want to land there for too long. But this is rock bottom for this kid. The story goes on. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have a food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Basically, even the butlers who work around the house, even the people who just take care of things for my dad, which leads us to understand that he's wealthy, they have more than enough food than they will ever need. And here's what I'm going to do. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, look at this for a second, because this is what this is. This right here is actual repentance, and a repentance is a word that means I'm sorry. In my heart, I actually understand that I've done something wrong, and I need to pay for it, and I need to go and make it right. So I don't believe that this kid is some punk kid here who's going, I'm just going to go home and see if my dad will take me back. I believe this kid understands by using these words in here that this is something that he has done that is really, really wrong and really, really messed up, and he needs his father to help make it right. So here's the big moment when he decides to return home. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, let's, let's stop for a second. There's so much here because a father who's been so hurt and disappointed and so wronged by his own son in ways that probably if we think that we were wrong, we might not even be able to understand because our things that have wronged us seem so minuscule in ways to a, fa- or a son betraying his own father. But here's what happened. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, I want to talk about this word for a second because it's so important, ran. Ran is so important because if you know anything about history, or the Middle Eastern times, men in Middle Eastern times did not run. And the reason was, is because they would wear like sandals on their feet and their tunics were so long that if they ran, a lot of times they would trip and fall. So what they had to do is they had to pick their tunics up and exposing your legs in this time period was seen as something of shameful and that you would not do. Subsequently, we believe his father ran because in times like this, people lived in villages. And if the son had come home and he had encountered people in the village, more than likely the village would want to shame the son for what he had done. Because there's probably been some time gone between the son took the money and now. There'd probably been a lot of time that had gone between those two events. So people in the village would have heard about this. And if the son had come back and the village had gotten him first, they would want to shame him. So the father subsequently, we think, ran to Take the shame on himself. Ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, we don't know what he said yet. He's going to speak in a second. But I want to say this to you guys. There's going to come a point in time in all of your lives where somebody who's wronged you comes back and says, I want to figure out how to make this right. When someone wants to make things right, give them the opportunity. When someone wants to make things right, Give them the opportunity, even if they don't deserve it. And this is not an excuse for people to be a doormat. 
There are some people who've treated us so bad and continue to abuse us in our lives that they necessarily shouldn't interact with us because of how we would feel and they would feel, and it's a continued abuse cycle, especially if it's physical. But when someone wants to make things right, give them the opportunity. And here's something else that I think is so true about this. When someone wants to make things right and you give them the opportunity, you actually think that you're giving them the opportunity to make things right and it's going to help them. But at the end of the day, this actually helps you. This actually helps me. It helps the person who is actually being, who has been wronged as well. When someone wants to make things right, give them the opportunity. In Luke 15, 21, it says, his son said to him, the son is speaking now for the first time to the father. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Again, repentance. I'm sorry. Look at what I've done. I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And the dad has an opportunity here because he's going to speak. He's going to speak to his son for the first time in a really long time. And the dad has this moment. And in your lives, you may even understand this as well, that this is a special moment. This is an important moment. And you may understand that every moment is not as important as every other moment. That this moment means more. This moment actually has the opportunity to change the direction of a son's life. Because we believe words are really, really important. And that words, when used properly over time, can influence the direction in a person's life. And the dad is about to speak. And I don't know about you, but if I were the dad or I were dealing with someone in my life who had treated me this way, I might say something like, how dare you come back here after everything that you have done, after everything that you have wasted, after everything that you have wronged related to me based on how hard I have worked my entire life, and you have the audacity to show up back on my doorstep and asking forgiveness from me, you pile of trash get out and never come back i think that i might react something like that and maybe for people who have wronged us in our lives we might react that way as well but here's what the father said but his father said to the servants quick bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and furthermore, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. So let the party begin. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You know what that is? That is amazing grace. That's grace in ways that we don't actually understand of how to show someone that much grace. This is the same kind of grace that God shows us, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the father said, he is lost, but now he is found. Go ahead and do all this because he is now alive. Meanwhile, there's an older son that I told you about when we first began this series, this message. There was an older son who was in the fields working, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. The servant said, your brother is back. And he was told, 
and your father has killed the fattened calf we are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, how many of you in the room have siblings? I have two sisters, okay? A lot of us have siblings. If your sibling acted this way, how do you think you would react if they came home back into daddy's arms to seek his approval once again? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and you've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And, all, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, don't miss that, that's big, that's important. He doesn't even call him his brother. He says, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. We're going to talk about the older brother next week and everything that goes into his emotions and how we could have those similar emotions if we looked at life that way. But the older brother is angry. He's mad. He's on a rant. He's had it. Dad, father, how could you allow him to come back. And when you show people the kind of grace in your life that the father showed the younger son, here's something that you need to know. When you give grace, especially grace of that level, understand that those around you may not get it. Understand that those around you may not understand. Understand that those around you are going to go, that person did this to you, remember? That person treated you this way, remember? There's no way you should let that person back into your life. There's no way you should allow that person back into your home. There's no way you should be celebrating with that person. Remember all the wrong they did to you. Father replies with something that is so powerful that we can't miss. His father said to him, Look, dear son, my older son, has never left my side. You have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. For your brother is dead and has come back to life. When we think of life and death, we think of bodies. And we think of what it will be like when our physical body isn't here someday. And when we think of life, we think of those of us in the room who are alive right now. But the father says he was dead because of what he did. And he wants to come back and be a part of us, to come back to life. The decisions he's made, the things that he's done were so poor that he was dead, but now he's back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Here's the cool thing about this story. I was talking to several folks after our 9 o'clock service in our lobby about this particular issue after the service, and they said, this is, this is so good and so true, but, there's, but it's so hard. And I said, yeah. I said, that's why there's tension in it. It's tension to figure out how far do you go? What is forgiveness? Who benefits from it? How do you interact then after the moment happens with the people who have wronged you. It's hard. It's difficult. But I believe there is beauty in tension. I believe that there is beauty in that gray area where you go, I don't know what to do and how to act, but I know that I have to do something. So in this story, 
Historians and scholars throughout history have said that the father basically represents a couple of different figures. We One, the father represents God. That there is a God of the universe who cares about us and loves us. And whenever we're ready to come home, he is standing there with arms wide open to be able to say to us, hey, whenever you're ready, you want to come in, you want to get to know me, I'm willing to do that with you and then go out and love everybody else. And that's the way you show love to me. God is always standing there with arms wide open. They never close. And we also think that the Father is representative of us and how we should act and behave and treat others, more specifically those who have done us wrong. So I started to think, especially um, yesterday was just kind of a really cool day for me. I got to perform Caitlin's sister's wedding in Michigan. I flew back late last night, and as I was on the plane, I started to think about just people and family and people in my life who I've interacted with and those special moments that have happened with and that just the most intimate details of your life have been shared with, and started to think about where those moments happened the most. And I kind of came up with the answer, at least in my mind, is that those moments generally happen at a table. That when you're sitting with others, eating with someone, drinking with someone, enjoying um, social time with someone or others, and you share details about your life or you tell stories or you engage them in a different way because you've been in someone's home or you are out to dinner at a restaurant and you start to get to know people and all of a sudden, the closest and strongest bonds that I've formed in my entire life have always been formed around a table. So I think this. I think that if we're going to have the same spirit and attitude and we take the Father's example in this story and we put it into practice in our own life, then we need to live our life related to people that no matter where you go, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how dysfunctional you are, no matter how much you've lost, no matter how broken you are, you will always have a seat at my table. What if when someone wrongs us or someone does something that we really should never forgive them for, what if we don't take the chair away? Because see, I believe that if we're going to get this right, we all have to live our lives like everyone has a seat at our tables. And if I'm going to say this practically so that you could understand it, it's this, is that you need to live your life like everyone has a seat at your table. And there's tension here, isn't there? There's tension because people have wronged us and we hurt. And we're people. And we're human beings. And we don't want to forgive. It's not the natural way to be or behave or act. But if we got this right and we changed things, we showed grace the way that a father showed grace to his son, we lived our life like everybody always had a seat at our table. People would look at us and go, I don't know why those people are doing that, those Jesus followers, those followers of the Jesus movement, but that kind of grace is something that I want. That kind of grace is something that I need. That kind of grace is something that Jesus called every one of us to do for people in our lives, and more specifically related to this story, people in our lives who have done us wrong. Can you imagine how that dad must have felt when a kid went up to him and said, hey, before you die, 
I want half of your money. And then he went and blew it, and then he came back. And the dad said, you messed up, but you're still welcome here. That's what we think the Jesus movement is all about. And that's what we want to be about at Downtown Harbor Church, always. Let's pray. God, thanks for this story. This father whose son wronged him so much that he should have easily just said, nope, you're never allowed back. We don't want you here anymore. This home is no longer your home. You're not welcome. But a dad showed his son something that every one of us in this room can learn from. That when we give the kind of grace, the kind of amazing, exponential, wow factor grace that this dad gave his son, that we are actually showing your love to other people by giving someone a consistent seat at the table. God, the tables in our lives just are so important and they're so meaningful. We've shared so many moments with people that we love around the table. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each person in this room understand what that means. And God, there's tension here. This isn't easy. And it's going to mean something different for everybody in here based on their journeys and their walks of life and what has happened. But God, would you allow us to live every moment, every day, every week, every hour, like everyone always has a seat at our table. Amen.